God's way brings restoration and unity. Now, I'm going to relate a couple of things. It's really not in this message. You may say, well, it looked like I was. But everyone here has a gift. I don't care who you are. You have some gift. And uh, God is going to try to revitalize that gift in everybody's life. It can be the gift of hospitality, the gift of kindness, the gift of patience, the gift of forgiveness, but especially the gift of love. Love never fails. So I'm going to read a couple of verses here from John, the 17th chapter. Uh, verses 17 through 21. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for also them which will believe on me through, through their word that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be one in us, that the world may believe thou hast sent me. Why all of this? That the world might be one in us. Oh boy, he's speaking of oneness there and unity. And do you remember when... Uh, Paul and Silas were thrown in prison in Philippi, and they sang praise to God and probably talked scripture right up until midnight. The earthquake came, and of course that startled everybody. And the Philippian jailer came in and said, Men and brethren, what shall I do to be saved? He didn't say, Well, believe in my denomination or this. You might say, Well, denominations didn't exist at that time. It's a good thing. It's a good thing it didn't. But in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, the Apostle Paul said, it's been reported to me by the house of Chloe that there be divisions among you. He said, for one is saying, I'm of Paul, I'm Apollos, I'm Cephas, and I have Christ. Is Christ divided? He said, I would to God that you, there would be no divisions among you, but that you all believe and preach the same thing. That's where it's at. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Trust me. He is the only one that we look up to. We want to praise his name, glorify his name, and you and I can do that by living for him every day of our life. Now I'm just going to ask you a question. When you think of restoration, what comes to your mind? Perhaps a half-burned-down building complex and how do I rebuild it to look like it's original? Or you might think of a government that was loving and protective, protective of all its citizens at one time, but over the years this government became corrupt and cruel. What this government once represented needs to be restored. Christ's church is no different in its formative years, the first couple centuries, the church most likely was in its purest state. 
Down through the years, the church became scandalized, domineering, and intimidating many times. In many cases, Bible doctrine was replaced by man's ideas, and wholesome morality to many was only a nice thought or a nice word. The church then needed reformation, but it needed more. Along with reformation, it needed restoration. We'd like to see the church of today exist and function as it did in the first century, the way it is in the Bible. That may be a, a task and a half to accomplish, but that would be great. Still some entertain the hope that all, my, all believers may yet be united in one body. But I'm afraid we may have the wrong idea of what Christian unity is all about. Unity is not necessarily all the believers in this area meeting together with one, under one roof for worship. I mean, that might be inspiring, but it's not likely to happen on a church-wide scale. The thing is, it's not really necessary. For unity, what is important is this, that we be united upon the same objective, to preach the gospel to the lost, to visit widows and orphans in their distress, to keep oneself unspotted from the world, and to strengthen one another in the faith. This we can do without agreeing on for instance, the mode of music in the assembly. Uh, some churches have split because they said, well, the piano or organ isn't necessary. We don't want that. Uh, that's, not a Bible. that's not a New Testament teaching. Or how about worrying about the length of a lady's dress? Or whether, whether we even should support a missionary organization or any other such opinion. Sadly, the movement that once preached unity to a divided religious world has become so disunited that it has now turned its message inward upon itself with actually sparse results. Something is terribly wrong. Why is it that the world does not respond to the gospel as it once did? We know, we know there's nothing wrong with the gospel message. What did Paul say in Romans 1.16? He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to them that believe, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith into faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. There it is. There's power in the gospel. That's what Paul said. There's, once we learn there's power in the gospel, we know the gospel is the story, the message of the ministry of Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, includes his shed blood. So there's power in the gospel, and there's power in the blood. In the Hebrew letter, Paul's, the writer of Hebrews said, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. 
So there's power in the blood. How about prayer power? We heard some prayers mentioned this morning, and I know God heard those prayers. We pray especially, I know Kim Ray's name was mentioned. God heard that prayer. Jesus said of himself, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, listen to this, no one comes to the Father but by me. That's John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way. Does that mean there's more than one way to heaven? That's not according to Jesus. Don't we believe in Jesus? I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said. Nobody comes to God the Father except through the Son. Remember this, in 1 John, the second chapter, John says, if any man has the Father, but not the Son, he has neither the Father nor the Son. That's why Jesus could honestly say that, that he was the way, the truth, and the life. He is the limelight, and his every word and action conveys power and authority. There's absolutely nothing wrong with a message that we preach or teach in this day and age, especially the fundamental churches. There's nothing wrong in the ways presented. Could there possibly be something wrong in the manner of presenting the gospel? Think about that for a minute. We pipe, we talk, nobody follows. We plead and invite, but nobody cares. Oftentimes that includes our own children, our own family members. We send missionaries to far corners of the earth. Oh, sometimes we hear of sporadic revivals. But the total picture is this. It's not always one of encouragement when it comes to converts. Many times that's the way it is. Missionaries can do their best. They can share their guts out. And some people just shrug their shoulders and just say, soul. The gospel has the power to do everything that God purposed to do. What then do we conclude when the word does not return in the way we thought it would? It returns void. What do we think about that? What then do we conclude when the word seemingly does return void? Do we have the guts and intelligence to blame ourselves sometimes? If we really are to blame, are we going to attribute this to all our failures? Are we going to attribute this to the stubbornness of those who hear the gospel but don't respond? That's pretty easy to do. Well, I shared Christ with them. They didn't seem to care. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you've shared the gospel with someone, you've done the right thing. It's up to God to honor that word. It's up to God to penetrate the heart. Let's leave that to him. But here's something to consider. I won't go through this complete story with you. This is in 2 Samuel 12. We realize from reading this that King David was a king. He was considered a prophet, but he was considered a leader. David was a representative of God's people. The people were looking up to King David for spiritual guidance. But then 
He looked over on a, a, another rooftop one evening or late afternoon and saw Bathsheba. She was a beautiful woman. And King David told his messengers, fetch that woman here. And he did. Had an affair with Bathsheba, got her pregnant. And uh, now he's kind of concern, concerned about it a little bit. But he thought, what can I do? Maybe if I send Uriah out, he was in the army in the middle of a battle. And so I'll write a letter to Joab, my general, and say, uh, when the heat of the battle gets strong, he said, withdraw quickly. So Uriah may be killed. And he was. King David actually murdered Uriah because he was trying to cover up the mistake that he made. It was a mistake. Surely it was. So God sent Nathan the prophet to David. And basically he said, you've messed up so bad that even our enemies feel justified in making fun of God. I hope Christians don't ever do this. You and I are on a stage. People are watching. So I've talked a little bit about the power of the gospel, the power of the blood, and the power of prayer. Listen to this. How about power in a transformed life? Have you ever thought about that? Romans 12, 1 through 2 says this, and I'll read this. This is Apostle Paul writing here. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So consider King David now. He messed up. Do you think God could allow this double standard, this double standard lifestyle to go on and on and on? King David was on a verge of his spiritual collapse. He was deceiving himself, and really, he didn't care who he hurt at this point in his life. Through Nathan the prophet, God put David to the test. Do you remember that part of the story? And Nathan comes to David and he said, a certain rich man who had tons of herds and flocks and cattle, this certain rich man, rich man had a stranger come to his house. And you know what he did? Instead of taking from his own many, many flocks and slaying a sheep or whatever to feed the stranger, he went to the neighbor who had one little ewe lamb. That's all he had, and he loved this little lamb. It grew up in his house. He cared for it. He loved it. He petted it. And Nathan said, that rich man took that one little lamb and slew it and fed the stranger. And what do you think of that, King David? King David said, surely that man shall die. He shall return fourfold of what he had taken. Surely that man's going to die, King David said. And Nathan looked at David and he said, You are that man. Would you believe David got the message? But what, what Nathan the prophet also said was, Now you've given 
the enemy, the heathens, the non-believers, opportunity to profane the name of God. But he repented of the sin without... Jesus had, in his ministry, said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Repentance is not just a good idea. It's commanded. It's important. Repentance led the way for forgiveness in renewed success. But the sad thing is, much spiritual damage had already been done. I know of a preacher a few years ago, in fact, more than one, to be honest with you, that had an affair with another woman. Of course, nothing but chaos followed. Can you imagine a preacher being 20 years in a congregation and built it up to, <clears throat> at that time, I think it was close to 500 in attendance. After 20 years, having an affair and stepping out, congregation, of course, dismissed him immediately. But that's sad. Look at the lives that it affected. People were confused. People were hurt. I'm sure harsh words were exchanged and a divorce followed. God's name simply is drugged through the mud. People were looking up to that man. They were looking up to King David too. But people were looking up to this preacher for guidance, compassion, encouragement. And now their moral footing is in danger. Would-be converts don't stand a chance. Others take the opportunity to belittle and mock the Lord. Folks, we know that all Christians, according to the Scriptures, are priests in the sight of God. You and I are on stage. People are focusing their attention on you and I. Our lives become the proving ground for many people around us. What do others see when they observe our life and our lifestyle? Remember, true worship of God is not limited to buildings, times, or places. The Christian's life and lifestyle is a continuous revelation of their worship relationship with the Lord Jesus at all times, 24-7. When I was a new Christian, <clears throat> I remember in the workplace one day, I don't know, I just happened to run across this guy and he was talking about how he was teaching an adult class in a congregation like this. Every fifth or sixth word was one of the worst words the four-letter word that you could imagine. And I thought to myself, yeah, I'm a new Christian. I probably still should have shared the gospel with him, but I was pretty shy at that time. But I thought, boy, that's disgusting the way his verbiage is. It's really not good. So whether it's at home, whether it's at the workplace, at sports events, on vacation, or even in church, we can never blame the gospel of Jesus Christ for the reason people are not uh, brought to salvation. The gospel of Christ demands conviction. When we share the gospel, you remember what Jesus said 
when Nicodemus came to him. Nicodemus said, Master, we know that you are our teacher. Come to, come to God. This is in John, the fifth chapter. No, the third chapter, I'm sorry. Uh, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that you do unless God is with him. And Nicodemus says, and Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Well, he said, how can I be born when I'm an old man? Can I enter a second time into my mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, no, verily I say unto you, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he will not enter the kingdom of God. You and I had no choice in choosing our parents. We were born of the water of the womb. Unless you're born that way, you don't have a chance for the second birth anyway. But we didn't choose our parents, but once we hear the good news of Christ, we do have a chance for eternal life. Jesus said, unless you be born again, Jesus' message, the message of his love and sacrifice on Calvary, have to touch this, the heart. That's how we become born anew or born again, through the gospel story of Christ's love. If there's anybody ever in our life we're going to lift up in honor and praise, it's going to be Jesus Christ. I know later on, <clears throat> when we give our life to Christ, uh, there are certain things in, in life, certain things in the scriptures that Christ wants us to be faithful to. He did say, if you love me, Keep my teachings. He said, He that knoweth him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But it all starts at the foot of the cross. When people initially give their life to Christ, a lot of doctrines and stuff, they don't know about them. Be patient. Be loving. Be kind. The gospel of Christ is a power of conviction, so we must share it with love and respect. So it kind of boils down to the fact, can we honestly evaluate ourselves? Christ's life was above reproach, according to the scriptures. His life was above reproach. I know ours will never be. But by God's grace, we're going to work on it. If we combine the power <clears throat> of the gospel with the power of a transformed life, God will honor this. It worked for the Apostle Paul. If you know his lifestyle prior to becoming a Christian, it was not good. This change worked for the Apostle Paul, but his priorities definitely did change. To restore the likeness and purpose of the church that pleases the Lord, we must not only teach the gospel, but we must live it. And I just want to take a couple minutes, and maybe you've heard this before. <clears throat> if you have, be patient. In 1985, <clears throat> Russian troops were in Afghanistan at this time. The, the, the Russian general, who was over 100,000 troops, his name was General Slavia Borisov. He was commander of 100,000 people. The date was 1985, and his relationship to God was zero. He was a hardened atheist. 
General Borisov was in a, a helicopter with 11 other officers and average persons. When suddenly the chopper was hit, and I'm guessing probably by a ground-to-air missile, he knew it was going down. In desperation, he cried out to God and he said, God, spare my life and I'll serve you the rest of my life. All the people, when this helicopter crashed, everyone aboard was killed except General Borisov. He was severely wounded. He lay in a coma for six months and finally had a complete recovery. Listen to this, though. A couple years after his recovery, General Borisov was invited to speak at our Pentagon. And you people that have a computer can go on the computer, even to this day, and you'll get everything on the life of General Borisov after he became a Christian. At this time that he was in the Pentagon, he had given his life to Christ. There were high officials from every branch of our military and government as he was there waiting in a Pentagon for his turn to speak. And as his turn to speak comes, he had something in his hand. They probably didn't think about it at the time. But as he lifted this book, he said, both countries, both Russia and the United States, have made treaties with each other, and they've both broken them. But this one book, he says, never loses its power or never loses its integrity. He said, send more Bibles to Russia. And then he said, why do I stand before you today? He said, when I was in charge of those 100,000 troops, before the helicopter crash. He said, I brought, there was a handful of people, young men over the years, that shared Jesus Christ with me. He said, but at that time I was hardened. I refused. And they said, you should give your life to Jesus Christ. They were threatened with Siberia, and some did get sent there. They were uh, threatened with prison, and some did end there. Some were treated cruelly. But he says this this book will never lose its integrity. But you see what happened there? These handful of young men who shared the gospel of Christ with General Borisov, they suffered for it. But they would not back down from the threats that he made or the abuse that was waiting for them. Remember the power of a transformed life. I can look at those young men and see when they talked about Jesus, it came from here. They meant it. When they talked about Christ to this general, they knew what their fate might be, but they didn't care. They wanted to lift high the name of Jesus and give him glory and honor because he deserves it. 
just remember the power of a transformed life. Oh, by the way, when you go onto your computers, I don't know if he, if General Borisov converted something like 50 officers, high officers, converted them to Christ, along with many, many other officers. And he built the first Christian chapel on a Russian military base. And I think since then, he has built more than this. Check it out. I'd like to uh, play a song in closing here. Maybe you've heard the name of this song. I'm pressing on. Hope I hit all the right notes here. prayer I don't know probably all you folks are Christians but if there's someone here that has never given their life to Christ you know the best time to do it it's not five years from now it's now now is the accepted time now is the day of salvation not tomorrow so the invitation is there if you've never given your life to Christ why not why not now let's have a closing prayer here Father, I just thank you for these uh, faithful people that have come out here this morning. I just ask your blessing upon each and every one of us as we serve you. And Father, we, we look out into the community and realize that there's people out there that are groping around. They're living day by day with no real uh, purpose in life. Help us to be the purpose in their life that points them to Jesus. Help us to be faithful 24-7 wherever we are. Help us to be more like Jesus. That will work. So I pray that you would uh, go with us as we go to our homes, Father. Help us to be shining examples of what you expect us to be. We just give you the praise, the glory and the honor. And oh yes, Lord, I pray for Kim Ray also. We just lift her up right now. Pray you would touch her body. Give her strength. Give her healing. That your will might be done. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.